up? Good morning, Chicago. You listening to Inspirational Perspective? I'm your host, Linnell Harris, or Quasi Linnell Harris. Your very own life coach right here on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. Inspirational Perspective on your radio is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. So as I ask you every Sunday morning, are you living the best life possible? And this is the place to be to explore that possibility. Well, I cannot even begin to express the excitement I have this morning. Oh, man. Oh, man. Now, as you all know, I was in Ghana the last 10 days, well, for for 10 days, got back Wednesday evening, and I have in the studio with me some of my traveling companions, and I am super excited to have this conversation about what I called it, I subtitled it the Ghana Report, but the title was Black Identity, A Return to Africa. In the studio, I have with me Bishop Lance Davis, good morning, sir. Good morning, and you can call me Bishop Kwame Linnell Lance Davis, because my middle name is Linnell as well. How about, and that's one of the reasons why we clicked, <laughs> I mean, the way that yes, we sir. did. Yes, sir. Um, and it's hard not to click in the motherland. Oh, yeah. It's hard not oh, to yeah. click. And then I also have my sister, Deborah Farmer, in the building. Good morning, Deborah. That would be Ama Farmer. I love it. I love it. And that in itself is profound. Yes. I am. A and we're going to talk about that. We're going to yes. talk about that because this, this show is about identity. And if you guys heard me, I corrected myself and said, not just Linnell Harris, but Quasi Linnell Harris, yes. because that's a part of my African identity. So we'll talk more about that. And then Domati Pongo will be joining us in a little bit here. And Domati is also on the trip with us as well. But I just want to get right into it because, I mean, we have two hours and I don't even think the listeners know how much material there is to cover. And I think as they start to get into it, the phone lines are going to light up. They're going to be questions. And so I just want to make sure that we are maximizing, optimizing our time this morning, especially because I have two powerhouses in, in the studio already and a third one going to join. So first and foremost, welcome and I want to know from you all, what was it like coming back to the States? I just want to start right there. Like, what was it like coming back to the States after what we experienced in Ghana? And then we'll come back to what it was like to step on the ground in Ghana. Deborah, was that your first time on the continent? It was. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to hear from Deborah. Now, Bishop, for you, you've been how many times to Ghana? It's been between. 42, 57 times, something like that. Yeah. And you've been, you've been going back and forth to Ghana. What you told me is what, 15 years? Yes, sir. 15 mm-hmm. years. You have a home in Ghana. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a home here. Yes. So you, you are where I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's where we should all be. Um, you know, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I, th- absolutely. We will. We will talk about it a little bit, a lot, not a little bit, a lot later. <laughs> and then. I want to talk real quick about what it felt like coming back because I know for me, so for me, it was, uh, 
I felt like I was being pulled from two different sides, right? The, the energy of Africa, the harmony, the man, it was just love, right? And then my wife and my son are here. I love them immensely, right? And I wanted to see them. But then there was a part of me that was like, man, if I could take them and get up out of here, like if I didn't have any roots or yes. economic ties, we mm-hmm. talked about that, right, yeah, Deb? Yeah, yeah. If I didn't have any roots or economic ties, like I would probably be like, hey, bae, <laughs> pack up legend stuff. <laughs> Let's go. So, so, Deb, how was that for you? Interestingly enough, I felt a sense of sadness. Mm. Honestly, I mean, I was excited to be home. I had missed my family, missed my boys. You know, I have two sons, a husband. Um, but I felt a sense of sadness. Like I needed a little bit more time. And After 10 days, yeah, you needed more time? I, I did. I did because I will tell you, once we, um, it, every level got higher and higher and mm. higher. And um, we were just talking about spirituality. And while on the trip, I completed a book called The Esther Anointing. Okay. And I just felt like, wow, I finished that book. And I still could have had two more days there just to experience a little bit more of what I saw in the book on the level of Esther's favor. Because I felt that while there. Okay. I, just, I felt fa- So nice. I just felt a little bit of sadness. Well, I mean, to time. be. Yeah. To be on that kind of. So let's yeah. talk about let's talk about favor. Because I believe for all of us to have had the opportunity to go back home and you think about the ancestral lineage. Right. So and Deb, we're going to talk a little bit about that because mm-hmm. you and I both know our ancestral lineage. Bishop, do you know yours? Oh, yes. Oh, OK, yes. so let's let's talk, we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. in a moment. But to know that our paternal maternal ancestors were from that area. And then have the opportunity to go back. If that's not favor, I don't know what is. Right. Yeah. Yes. So keep, keep going. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. cut you off. And, and so just being able to slow down, too, that was another piece of awareness that I had when I got back to Chicago mm-hmm. um, was to just pipe it down just a bit. Yeah. Not to a place yeah. of, you know, um, slacking off, but mm-hmm. it's not that serious. Yes. Mm. Right. Because yeah. that was one of the um, pieces that was very clear to me while on the trip was just embrace this yeah right um yeah. even on the end of um we we got there and every day it was something different mm-hmm. and to be present mm-hmm. not worried about an email mm-hmm. not worried about you know who i hadn't returned a text message you know right. to um i i just felt the the sense to just slow down and then i will tell you this even as i look at you this morning with your lovely vibrant colors on I see things differently too. Yeah. I, I do. I, you know, I, and I, we can go into this. I was on the board for Africa International House for years. Mm-hmm. So the African Festival of the Arts is mm. my favorite time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to be there with all the food and the culture and the people, um, the, the, the opportunity to experience that for real, not just some, you know, um, I won't say makeshift, exhibit that we just mm-hmm. drop here in the city, mm-hmm. but to experience that for real in Ghana, mm-hmm. um, I realized why that time of the year is so powerful for me. Like I'm looking at yeah. things differently, the vibrancy, yeah. the colors, yeah. like looking at your, I gave my son um, a, the same dashiki um, 
that Linnell has on today. And uh-huh, he put uh-huh. it on. He's two years old. Wow. He literally stretched out like, ah! <laughs> oh! And I'm thinking like, is it the colors? He, he knows. No, he, he knows. This is what, I, yeah. Yes, yeah. the energy. It had to be the colors. Mm. It had to be. And so to that end, I just see things differently. I was mm. able to even in that moment, not rush to get him ready for school. Yes. Let him have that moment. That moment, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Deb. Thanks sure. for that. So we got Doma T on the line. Doma T, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. Good morning, Winnell. Thanks for having this conversation. But I'm at risk just listening to Dan recount everything. Yeah, amen. And thank you because you were the impetus for me going. Yeah. Right. And I, I think yes. also for Deb. Yes. Um. So I, I want to thank you for for that. Uh. Because with, without without you having the vision for bringing you know African Americans to to Ghana, I wouldn't have met Bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have met a lot of the people that I met on this trip. Michael Jones, by the way, is, uh, who was a, who was on the trip with us. He said, Kobe's in the house. He's on Facebook Live. So if, if, if you all aren't watching on Facebook Live, you can watch, you can actually see the vibrant colors of my dashiki that Deborah was talking about. I have it on this morning. Um, along with some of my Ghanaian jewelry. I'm, I'm just, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm overdose. I'm just all, just pour it all. Yes. Yes. I love it. So, um, so let's talk real quick. I, I, w- I want to shift the conversation to the first time in Ghana. This is my first time in Ghana. I've been on the continent before as a tourist, never as someone returning home. I, I talked about that in a previous show. Um, but, Bishop, you mean, you've gone 40 to 50 times. What was it like the first time, and then what is it like when you return? I realized quickly that there's nothing that I can say to articulate what it feels like to come back for the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. The one thing that I, I felt... I believe that uh, Deborah just articulated it perfectly, and that is you have a sense of lament, a sense of sadness mm. uh, when you do come back. Uh, I think the sadness comes in when you realize to what level we as a people have dropped. Mm. Um, and we do realize we're not going to blame uh, the patient uh, simply because the patient that's sitting on the gurney, that's laying on the gurney, uh, was actually struck by the truck of American society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we won't blame ourselves for the condition that we're in, but it is a sad condition in that we just left the place where no one could fathom uh, someone from another community selling us gasoline in our own community. Then yeah. you, you come back yeah. here and you can't find your own community doing business with your mm-hmm. own community. So those kinds of realities begin to sink in when you come back home uh, for the first time. And I think that the second time, consequently, is you're not only – um, going back home to reconnect, but also it is in um, uh, structuring in your mind. How am I going to write this shit? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's that's what's been on my mind. Mm. I mean, it, it has I mean, it has become almost an, an obsession mm. in terms of Linnell. Mm. You thought you were going hard. Mm. You ain't been going hard enough. Yeah. It's, it's time to take it to another level. I'm, and that's and, and Deb, I see you having a moment over there because I know you and I we had this conversation in terms of who we are, right? And, and by the way, I don't I don't have in the studio with me. I don't have people who aren't not doing anything. Okay, um, entrepreneurs, uh, Bishop, you, you know, entrepreneur um, as well as spiritual leader, Deb, entrepreneur. Um, I, I share with you in Ghana how you had an impact on my life. Um, when we were at a function and you had just left your job and 
And, 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 and I said, man, Deb, that's where I want to be. I, I want to be uh, in a position where I'm my own man and I, I, I can leave my job. And you gave me a word then as you, you said, God is your source. Mm-hmm. And you sent me, a, you sent me a scripture along with that, right? Mm-hmm. And then that, that changed my life. I told you on a trip that that yeah. changed my life. Um, later that year, I left corporate America. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Doma T uh, on the line, entrepreneur. Um, and, and here we are, we step into a country full of entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. That's all they uh-huh. knew. Yes. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's all they knew. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you that's know, all you, you see. About, you guys talked about like lamenting on the way back, not only like the idea that we've lost so much in America as black Americans, but there's also this idea of coming back and realizing that fulfilling your purpose doesn't mean running as hard as you can towards some monetary goal mm. or constantly being busy for the sake mm. of being busy. Right. I think that was the first thing that I realized when I came back as an adult in 2016, flown there and come back to realize that if I didn't answer every email within five minutes, mm. the world didn't explode. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so that there, were, there were ways I could reset and reorient myself yeah. and be more purposeful than things I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. Because when you're in Ghana, even, uh, you know, established entrepreneur, like you said, it's nothing but entrepreneurs there, but there's a different level of ease with which they move and a different level of purpose because they're not tethered to the phone the way we are in America. Yes, yes, and that's yes. something I want yes. to definitely adapt. They're present. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. they're mm-hmm. fully present. And I, I want to bring up this point. And, Bish, I want to ask you this question because you've been there a lot. Because mm-hmm. I noticed it, but I only had 10 days to observe it. The sense of community is is on a whole nother level. Let me give you an example. So I don't know if you recall, we, we were going to the cash station. We had just got there. We were mm-hmm. going to the cash station mm-hmm. to get some cash. It's Independence Day. Mm-hmm. We we're having a hard time getting cash because it was Independence yep. Day and so many people were coming in and celebrate. And uh, so we finally got the cash. We we're walking out the hotel. And when we were walking out the hotel, a woman, she had her son, and she was telling him not to do something. And he fell out on the ground. Right. Like children do. Mm-hmm. Children mm-hmm. are the same everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That's true. That's All right. True. And, and he fell out on the ground and the doorman mm-hmm. scooped him up. Mm-hmm. The doorman. Let's be clear. Yes. The doorman yes. scooped him up in his arms because she was trying to get into her wallet to tip him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he held her son the entire time she was in her wallet. And by the way, his father was nearby mm-hmm. with the two other children in his hands. Mm-hmm. And she gave him the money. And then took her son, and it was normal. Yes. It was normal. Yes. There wasn't no, what are you doing what touching you, yes. my son? Absolutely. You know, there was no alarm in her spirit. Yes. It was normal. What's up with that? Like, because if that happened here, okay, yes. if that if that happened here, right, Deb, if you yeah. didn't know yeah, me, yeah. And, and Josh fell out, right, and I, I scooped him up, what would be your first thought? Well, I mean... I will have to say I would probably not be as shocked as you would think because I do understand community. Okay, but okay. I could imagine viewing that from another sister's perspective. Yes. Seeing her, you know, looking at you two-sided, right? Yes. Right, so, right. Yeah, I don't think I would have given you any pushback. Okay, okay. But most sisters probably <laughs> most, would. Most would What have, are you doing touching my most son? Would have. Right, yeah. right. So what is, I mean, the community, the how Africans work with one another, even with the children. I mean. Rubbing the child's head as you mm-hmm. walk by, giving mm-hmm. it affection and love—that's yeah, yeah. what we're missing. Yes. What, yes. So, I mean, what do you? I mean, Bishop, what, what what are your thoughts on this, man? Well, I would say this. I, I would say that uh, first and foremost, uh, 
any experience that you had there as it relates to community, do sort of like a sociological trajectory, and you will find that that's why we have what we have. In other words, that community could not see helping another person with their child. Therefore, that community will not see children killing each other. You see, we ultimately have to get to the part where when, you know, we had you all late at night, you were in the hood. Yeah. Did your purse get snatched? No. No. Did you have to worry about your life? No. no. You never ever, so you didn't get that beady feeling, that kind of flared never. nostril? Never. Okay. No. So, and, but weren't we surrounded by people who were black? Yeah. yeah. Weren't we surrounded by people who were impoverished in many cases? Yes, extremely. Worse than here. Way worse. Yeah. But and to be black and be impoverished does not automatically equal violence. So that means that that's an American construct. Mm. So an American construct is, is created when I see a woman snatch a child and call him the N word, mm-hmm. um, mm. is symptomatic of the loss of community. Mm. So when I see that, I don't blame her. I blame the society that created a woman who was creating a son who go directly to Stateville Penitentiary. Aye. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. Bishop, let's talk about the N word because mm-hmm. you share something that I thought was profound and I'll share this. I don't believe in using it, but it is ingrained in African-American language and society so much that it does come out my mouth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Honestly, mm-hmm. honestly, right? Sure. It might be with a buddy. It might be on the basketball court when you're kind of, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's like, ah, it's all right, you know. But then there's a piece of me that says, no, man, you shouldn't be saying that. After the conversation you and I had about this word, it just won't happen anymore. It just mm-hmm. will not. And if I do call one of my brothers that, even as a term of endearment, yes. right? Because that's what we try to say. Sure. I will apologize. But share with the audience what you share with me. Well, I, I don't have the shock and all because of the word, because I know too much about, you know, the, the etymology of the word. In mm-hmm. other words, you look in the dictionary, mm-hmm. you look up the word N-I-G-G-A-R-D, niggard. That means to be shiftless, <clears throat> good for nothing, lazy. And then so if it's a play on that word, then we've been called the very opposite of who we really are because mm-hmm. you used us to mm. build this nation up. You mm. used us to mm. build the capital. You used us to build out uh, the Louisiana uh, territory. We built this nation on the sweat of uh, of the brow of our ancestors. Um, but when you begin to use that phraseology, think about it. Now, an educated African-American woman or African-American man uh, is expected not to use that word. But if right. I'm Jay-Z and I'm in the hip-hop culture, I can use the word. And actually, I can use it. And since I'm still the N-word, according to Jay-Z, I can make millions off of it. Mm. So why is there a difference between who who is black can use the word and who cannot? And right. I believe that that's because the folks who use the word who actually have the capacity to identify what the word in the fact that we didn't create the word. In no. other words, this system is the end creator mm. and it created it in its own image because apparently whoever the end is, is not who we are inherently as a people. So we are a created context and that's why we're called that because we are created that. I want to be able to look at the system that created the end so that we can get rid of the end mindset so that we can be black again. Love it. You, Love- can, you can end the show on that. I, I could. And, and that is probably that's a yeah. big nugget. I want everybody who's listening to just take a moment and absorb that. Mm-hmm. 
and what what I really took away from what you said, what, what you said when we were talking, Bishop, was that this word is a European construct to strip away the power, mm-hmm. to strip our power away. And one of the things that came to mind for me as you were saying that is the words of the, the gentleman. I can't remember. Doma T, the uh, the gentleman from the Volta region. That was your region that we uh, uh, were. Yeah, Professor Kofiche. So, so the professor, one of the things that he said that I thought was extremely profound in terms of identity, he said, when you're born, you're born with two legs. Oh, you remember this, Deb? I do. I know where you're going. And you're, you're born with two legs, and those two legs are your foundation mm-hmm. on this earth. Mm. And those two legs represent your identity because you have two things that make up your identity, your language and your name, mm-hmm. right? So your mm-hmm. language and your name are, right. he said, and what they did to you all, because he's African, right? Mm-hmm. He's pointing to us as African-Americans. He said, what, what they did to you all is they cut off both of your legs because mm-hmm. not only did they take your language, mm-hmm. but they also took your name. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, they didn't even call us the name they gave us. They called us the N-word. Mm-hmm. So not only will I take your name and your language, but then I will degrade you mm-hmm. by giving you a name mm-hmm. that in a lot of ways we still hold on to. And we like to say, well, you know, we it's do. All in love. Yeah, we, it's all in love. We use it as a term of endearment. And that's the magic mm-hmm. of black folks. We know how to take the bad and make it good. Mm-hmm. But hey. The pig is still filthy. Absolutely. It is. <laughs> but okay, we took the bad and we made it good because we yeah. had to, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We had to eat the, the intestines of a pig yeah. because that's all we were given. But we don't have to eat that no more. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. so why do we willfully do it? Because we are psychologically designed to do it. Um, everything environmentally in the United States is a crafting of making us into consumers of the very thing that's going to kill us. So we don't drink water. We drink pop. We drink something that is going to with high fructose or red Kool Aid or red Kool Aid. I'm from the west side, west side of Chicago. So don't don't get me going. But the reality is, is that um, the things that we ingest, including in this area, we're breathing in fly ash right now that Mm -hmm. the Koch brothers make millions off of storing um, because it's going to be in our community. So we're going to wonder why we've got this high incidence of prostate cancer, why this high incidence of of um, you know uh, cystic fibrosis and these other things mm. that we usually did not have in our community, it's because environmentally we're being poisoned. But until you awaken, until you go back home and you're awakened, you really don't know how poisoned you are. And yes. in many cases, not until we go back home do we even care how poisoned we are. So let's talk about that. Deb, did you you want to say something? I was just going to mention um, one of the conversations that we had, the professor mentioned, he talked about the refrigeration system. Yes, yes, go there, go there. And that in itself really was like a shocker. Um, But it made me think about it biblically when God said he would give you just enough for that day. Mm-hmm. And how we tend to hoard and store and yeah. have a deep freezer to yeah. a deep freezer. Yeah. Like right. for what? Right. <laughs> yeah. right. And so when he broke that down on the fact that they didn't have refrigerators mm-hmm. and the reason why, I was like, what? We are continually doing this wrong, continuously yes. doing and, this all wrong. And we think we have it figured out, oh right? God. You go to Africa and you say, Y'all don't have refrigerators. Y'all wrong. You poor. You know, like, where's up? your deep freezer? Right? <laughs> but but at the same time, they're they're aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were at the school for the mm-hmm. deaf and blind. And and I was watching the the older gentleman who taught the young people how to dance. Mm-hmm. And he's not aging. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he, he doesn't have it. But 
in terms of inflammation and sickness in his body, he could dance like the young people when he was north of 60. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, move yes. and move well. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about going back to Africa. But real quick, Domitee, let me check in with you, man. Like, what, what's swinging through your mind right now before we talk about the first time we stepped on the ground in Ghana? Well, I want to stay on this point really quickly, too, about health and that youthfulness that we saw. I remember mm-hmm. me and Linnell was talking to this brother named Shango, a Nigerian living in Ghana, who was selling selling the dashikis and things. And he said, um, mm-hmm. you know, how old would you guess that I am? You know, I think we said mid-20s or something like that. He was mm-hmm. in his mid-40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said, listen, I don't even wet deodorant. I use lemon juice. And spread yeah. under my armpits. <laughs> he was like, "Do I smell?" He was like, "Nah, you good, man." Yeah. Then he, like, he, he was the bro- and we were. I, by the way, when we were having that conversation, we were all standing in the African heat. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And we did not. We didn't I smell him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not yeah. at all. And, and he started. And, and we start to think about going back to what Bishop said. And this is why I love having this conversation with Bishop. To go back to what he said about how. Certain things are American constructs. Not only like does poverty only equal crime in America most times, but then you also have poverty and black poverty and these health issues. And so in America, you know, you always see black people on the leading list of certain types of cancer, mm-hmm, leading mm-hmm. list of high blood pressure, mm-hmm. leading list of this and that. And you start to wonder, is my DNA deficient? Why, why do I have all of these health issues just by virtue of having black blood in my well, body? Your, your DNA is under back- attack. Exactly. Yes. And when you go back to the continent, you see that people, I mean, not they don't have this. All I got is cocoa butter, coconut oil, and lemon juice. And everybody <laughs> and looks. That's all you need. And that's, and, that, and that's what I'm using to take care of myself. You're, you mm-hmm. are dead on. And, Domati, it's, it's interesting because in one of the Murder Mediocrity uh, Summit posts advertising the, the summit, the, the question I asked, the very first thing I asked is, do you know you're at war? Mm-hmm. Do you know you're at war? Because I think most of us, we wake up. And we look around us and we like, oh, it's all good. Mm-hmm. I got a home. I got a roof over my head, this soft bed. I got a vehicle in the garage. I'm driving to work. I'm listening to the news and I'm hearing about what's happening in Syria. I'm hearing about what's happening in other parts of the world. Oh, that's so sad. And and if we're brown, we're thinking, oh, it's so good. And these brothers talking about going back to Africa. I want to go back there. Yeah. Right. And then you don't even realize that you are under attack. Mm-hmm. They are trying to take you out. They are taking us That's, out. It's not yet. They're, they're not trying. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing a yes. good they're job of job. it. Good job yes. of it. And something that we'll be talking about the murder media at the murder mediocrity summit. So if you haven't got your tickets, two weeks left, go to murdermediocrity.com and get those tickets by all means. Um, so before we talk about Stepping on the ground, we got a special caller who's calling in right now. Mrs. Perry Smalls, how you doing this morning? Hey, Linnell, how are you? Welcome back to the state. How you doing? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this is quite the the privilege to have you on the line. How you doing this morning? Well, let me just say this uh, to you and Domity. I am so livid that I didn't go on this trip. (laughs) (laughs) You were supposed to go. Let me tell you. you, I saw those pictures. I'm like, you do know those are my boys right there, right? Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, those are my my babies. Yes. And I was like, I'm sorry, but let me tell you, and when you leave in October, I'll be there with you. I'm leaving. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm leaving on the jet plane. And, and, Domitee, I thank you so much 
for bringing this. Um, you did something. Let, let me just say this. You did something. And Wakanda forever. <laughs> but you did something. <laughs> with you being a VON. Mm. With your uh, what he did with his his African heritage and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mama and Papa Pongo and thank you so much for that. And guess what I, I said after the Black Panther came out? I said there's gonna be oh people gonna be trying to go to Africa like nobody's business from the United States. Yeah. But please understand that people from all over the world saw value mm. in this and saw value in the continent that we have been brainwashed not to see any value in. Yes, uh-huh. yes, uh-huh. yes. Because what the, the fear was that we would have the same pride mm. about being black that the Irish do mm-hmm. for being the niggers mm-hmm. of the 19th century mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. Right. That was a story that was told over the weekend in the Tribune <laughs> because they were the most unwanted people in this country. But guess what? They didn't denigrate each other. They did not find a word to denigrate each other. Oh, yeah, they called each other mix. But mm-hmm. you don't hear that anymore today. No, you don't. You don't. Nigger is the only, back in the day, you could be a walk, you could be a dago. You can be a Mitch. Mm-hmm. You can be all of these different things. The only negative word, the only negative description of a group of people that have survived is the N word. Yeah, yeah. Don't you find that amazing? It is. It is. It, 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 it is. And Do you know, it, there are generations that don't know what what a walk. A Dago, mm-hmm. a Mick is, but they know what it's Yeah, I, I think a lot of millennials listening right now, Perry, probably have, have no idea what those things, what those words I mean, have, what, what ethnic groups to. they refer to. They, they don't know, but everybody I, knows the N word. Ask them what a kike is. They will never be able to tell you. And I don't, I don't condone any of these mm-hmm. words, mm-hmm. but please keep it real. Right, right. That's these. What, that's what America wants. Yeah. At one time. Yeah, you're if right. you were, and if you were from somewhere else, you were one of these negative connotations. Yeah, that's true. And, the and, and, only word that the only name that survived was the N word. There's a problem. So, well, now I'll see you in October. All right, all right. Because <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm going back in October. So, Perry, Perry, thanks so much for the phone call. By the way, too. Thank you so much. Yeah, and yeah. Joma T, I still love you. Can you help me with my website? I'll talk to y'all later. <laughs> all right, all right. Hey, Perry. Yeah, Perry Smalls, everyone. So, um, so, so that you know, one of the things I'm doing is I'm planning a trip back in October. So, anybody listening, saying Linnell's going back in October? Absolutely, I'm going back. And it's a purpose and identity tour of Ghana. Mm. And I think that's a great segue into what it felt like mm-hmm. when we touch the ground. So, Deb, this is your first time on the continent. It was. What was going through your mind <clears throat> when you were disembarking from that plane? You know, interestingly enough, and so just a, a backstory, my dad is from Barbados. So mm. I go back often. Um, and so I felt the same sort of energy when you get to the airport and you see a lot of people that look like you. Mm -hmm. So it didn't feel any different um, in that regard. Um, But I will tell you when 
we got there, it was nighttime. So that really didn't, I didn't feel anything until the morning. Mm-hmm. And so when we woke up and we were on our first tour, if you will, mm-hmm. I just felt a sense of pride. Yes. I was like, whoa, <laughs> look, look at, look, yeah. so, whoa. I mean, yeah. I just felt yeah. a sense of just uh strength, pride, happiness. And then I really will tell you this. On the end of just being a, um, I'm visual. So, I mean, you know, media, we just like need to see things. Just being able to create my own stories on what I saw in my head too. Mm. Like mm. even if I were mm. to, um, you know, maybe do a blog or uh, a video post on just the stories that I created in my head on what I saw, that would be like a 20 episode series. Mm. Cause it was just so much, but I, I was just filled with so much pride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so for me, my first time being in Ghana, I think all my senses were like on. All my senses were on. And uh, I mean, I was looking at everything. I'm like, the dirt is red. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, the the soil is red here. Hmm. And then the people and the warmth that we felt. And this is the thing. I've had the opportunity. I've been blessed to travel a lot of different places. There is a tension here in the States. Mm -hmm. Being a black man, you yes. feel the tension, yes. right? And then going into some other countries, you can feel the tension of what are you doing yes. here? Mm-hmm. What do you do that has you here? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. You're not ordinary if you're here. So let me let me have a quick conversation of curiosity to fulfill my curiosity. Mm-hmm. I don't care about you, but I'm curious mm-hmm. why you're here, mm-hmm. right? That happens. Mm-hmm. I've even been, you know, given luggage. Like giving my own luggage, <laughs> right? Like, oh, so, oh you, um, you're here for Linnell Harris. Okay. Well, here's his bags. Yes. Um, where is he? Uh, I am him, <laughs> right? So the, these kind of things have happened in other countries, right? Even in this hemisphere. Uh-huh. And so to be there and feel that warmth and the sensation really of being at home, uh-huh. but then to be there the next morning when we woke up, Ghana's Independence Day. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Like that was divine yes. order. Yes, it was. You couldn't have, we could not have planned that any better. I mean, Ghana's. We did not plan it at all. <laughs> it, yeah, it wasn't planned. Yeah. I, but I said we have to go because. It was wonderful. Because I'm you so need to you see, <laughs> you need to see the display. Oh my God. Of your own people with their own military, with their own oh children. My, I mean, the, 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 the second largest public square in the world. That's second the second largest, the second largest public square in the world, Who second knew? to Tiananmen Square in uh, China. Who knew? Where, I didn't know that. Huh? Yes. Underneath. That's them. where you were. And, and you were looking at the place of independence of mm. a country, the first country that broke free in that hemis- in hemisphere from white rule. And it was done without bloodshed, but it was done uh, through the ballot. It was done through people coming together and coalescing around. We are ready for you to leave our country and we are ready to control our own destiny. And that was the beginning of the liberation of Ghana, West Africa. It was also the beginning of the cessation of America from those West African countries mm-hmm. that after Ghana, then Togo, Benin, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, all of these other West African countries broke free of European rule. But Ghana set it off and said, we're going to first change our name back to its ancient name from Gold Coast to Ga, mm-hmm. Ghana. Mm-hmm. And then 
the second thing is that we're going to rule our own. Well, in America, it's such a, it's such a pitiful situation because we're spending $1.3 trillion as African Americans. But that money should be going towards research as to why we're dying early, as to why our children are not reading. In the city of Chicago, only 7% of African American boys can read at reading level. If I go to Ghana, that's going to be flipped to about 96%. Yes. So why can those children read and ours cannot? And we're okay with that 800-pound gorilla in the room. And and read in a second language, by the way. And what's interesting about reading, when we went to quite a few of the villages, that was the request of the young people. Books. 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 Where the books at? The young, one lady, young girl asked for a dress. And uh, I mean, the running theme was books. Books. We want to read. Unbelievable. We want to read. I used to share with my children when I was doing... Um, you know, water projects in some very heavily bushed areas. And as we're leaving out of providing water for this particular village, um, you know, I saw in my eye like a little flicker of a fire um, in the bush. And I'm like, that could be dangerous. So I said, let's back the truck up. It was, it was you know, nightfall. And, uh, and I saw where the little fire was coming from. And we got out of our SUV. We walked through the bush. And there it is, about five or six kids around a candlelight studying geometry. And they couldn't have been more than 12 wow. years old. Wow. So I came back wow. and told my children, it's nothing personal. Mm. But there are children in the West African hemisphere mm. that's going to blow you guys out of the water mm-hmm. academically mm-hmm. because yeah. we are not preparing you in STEM. We're not preparing you in reading. Mm. And so that's what we have to, we got to lament over the fact that we've even left our own children behind. Mm. Yes, we have. Mm. Yeah, literally. Back to the square on Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, fresh off of seeing Black Panther. When they had the ritual, um, the ritual of taking on the Black Panther battle or mm-hmm. whatever right. and all the different um groups were in the stands yes that's yes. how i felt when yes. we were yes. sitting True. in that independent yes. square yes. yes and i'm like which group are we <laughs> you know because it just it was so clear just how it was even formatted mm-hmm. that that could have been where those types of you know rituals took place yeah yes. oh yeah and, and if you want to see it if you want to see just a, a snippet of this parade, I still have it as a highlight on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. So you can go to Instagram, hit the Ghana highlight. Uh, my Instagram is at Linnell Harris, and you will, you you'll be able to see those those young people march. Oh, it was oh, beautiful. The different yes, colors. Yes. You had the male guard. Yeah. You had the female guard. Mm-hmm. You had the young children who also were marching behind them, mm-hmm. a part of the parade, a, a part of the overall display. It was. And, and so for that to be the first the full first day, day. Yes. in Ghana, it was like, <laughs> it was unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. And then we got in the bus and we headed to Cape Coast. Oh, wow. mm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. And, I, and, and here, so, so that you all know, part of what I wanted to achieve in the conversation that we have this morning is I want to talk about, so we, we've been talking about the collective experience. But I want to talk about the transformational qualities of the journey and the transformation didn't necessarily happen in Accra. Right. You know, the parade was beautiful to see. I think it filled us up with pride and there was a sense of, man, I'm home and and different things like that. But the transformation happened in the dungeons mm-hmm. of those slave castles. I know for me, that's where it took place. Right. That's where the transformation happened for me. So here we are. We, we head down the coast. The first the first. Slave castle that we went to was Fort Amsterdam. 
Now, Bishop, you've done this tour a number of times. Does it does it ever get old? No. Uh, the tour through the slave uh, dungeons uh, have never gotten old. I have no idea how many times I've been through those dungeons. You all got a chance to see Fort Amsterdam. Uh, most people do not. Usually, Favor. yes, yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, the yeah. yes, it, um, yeah. you know, yeah. usually it's just too steep for buses to get up into that village. Mm-hmm. You all saw that we had a very capable bus driver. Oh, he was, uh, but most people, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, most people would have to do that, make that walk from the main road, mm-hmm. and they don't do it because it's kind of dangerous. But you all got a chance to see that, and you got a chance to see what a dungeon looks like that's being, that's corroding, that is being forgotten, which is what was supposed to have happened to the other two remaining slave mm-hmm. castles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that this institution would never be known about. Yeah. That America, uh, Spain, Portugal, all of these other countries that have this great history and all of this wealth today, they never wanted anyone to know that their wealth came from West African gold and wealth West African souls. Yeah. And so you get a chance to see it and know it never does get old with me. And so, Doma T, you've been a number of times. What about you? That was my first time going to Fort Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And that was, and you think once you've seen the slave castle in Omina, once you've seen the one of Cape Coast, that you've seen it all, that you, mm-hmm. you've really gotten a, a, an experience of what this is like. It, it's nothing like going to another one because I think I, once you get to a different slave dungeon, you start to find out how diabolical these oppressors were, mm-hmm. how much they communicated with one another to find about the best ways to break down a human spirit. Mm-hmm. And that is what really made me understand that when we got back to the stick and we look at how African-Americans at the bottom of every list, that this is a concerted effort, obviously, like a, a concerted diabolical effort to make sure that these conditions are such that we end up in a position that we're in. And they've been doing that for 500, 600 years. Uh-huh. And that's, that's what that brought to the fore for me. Not only yeah. that, but then I also had to battle with this idea of these places being kind of like a tourist hub and this idea that people on the continent allowed these castles to, in some cases, become dilapidated and not care for them because they were a symbol of pain, mm-hmm. that what tortured happened. Mm-hmm. It was almost an embarrassment to say that as we sit down and live our lives on the shore of this castle, our ancestors up there, up the hill, once went through these atrocities and we allowed it to happen, you know, why should we even allow the structure to still stand mm-hmm. and tell this story? And so then, even though we're so grateful that it's still there so we can get this end of the story, you kind of have to contend with this idea of, okay, well, how much do we hold on to these things? I'm sure you guys have heard people say before, maybe we should stop creating slave movies. I want to see movies like us in Wakanda. I want to see right. movies right. of us. Right. You, you know, but, right. but there's a generation who will never get that story. And so it kind of made me contend with myself about, one, uh, what does it mean to have these structures still exist? How does mm-hmm. it feel for people who are still living in this area? And then, two, you know, how do we still hold on to this history, create an opportunity where we can create commerce from telling our stories, but still respect the sanctity of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that we did with the documentary. So real quick, mm-hmm. I think most of the listeners know who listen to me on a regular basis know that we were shooting a documentary as we went through this. But the, I, one of the things that the, the purpose, the overall purpose of the documentary was to bring those of us who will never hit the shores of Africa to the shores mm-hmm. of Africa, to the shores of Ghana, to the slave castles of these different uh, coastal towns. Right. 
And that's one of the things I think we were definitely able to achieve. Still a lot of work to do <laughs> um, for Doma T, uh, Deb and I in terms of, uh, you know, creating, taking what the, the video and all the all the, the footage we have, the rich footage we have and creating the story. But in my mind, and, and this was the interesting thing for me and Deb, I want to hear from you in terms of your experience of, you know, walking to that first slave castle. And then we definitely have to talk about the Cape Coast Castle because mm-hmm. that's where the real trend. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where it was like, oh, man, this is this is a, this is crazy. So if you're listening now, make sure you continue to listen to in the second hour, because that's we're going to talk about the transformation and and, and where, mm-hmm. you know, us we really began our identities began to shift right there in that moment. And why? You know, Doma T, one of the things you said is, you know, five to six hundred years of concerted effort to hold us down. We're going to talk about why. Because it became very clear for me mm-hmm. in that dungeon mm-hmm. why it's important they hold us down, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to talk about that too in the second hour. But but real quick, the thing that struck me about Fort Amsterdam one is it was dilapidated. It was dilapidated. It wasn't taken care of, and and it looks like they're beginning to you know bring more people in and talk about what happened there. But the beauty of the mm-hmm. surrounding area. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it, you know, so we're on the bus. So you got to, so let me kind of bring you there with me, right? So we just got done with the Ghana <laughs> Independence Day parade and the colors and the beauty. And I'm feeling all at home. And it's, I mean, and then, you know, we're on the bus and then we get off the bus and I can see a beach uh-huh. and the waves mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in boats and people fishing. And it's gorgeous. I mean, it, it, it's, it's picturesque. Okay. And matter of fact, don't let's put we'll we'll put the drone shot of Fort Amsterdam on our Instagram so everyone can see. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Look, we'll do that. Uh, and Deb, I, I can send it to you so you can put it on yours as well. Okay. But um, so you can see the beauty of this. But then as I'm walking up the the hill to get into the door of Fort Amsterdam, I see a cannon. Mm-hmm. That don't fit. What is that doing here? Mm-hmm. I see another cannon. Then it starts to get real. Wait a second. This place, this place here has a completely different history. And when I walked through the door of that fort, mm-hmm. everything began to shift. Yeah. And for me, that's when the transformation began to happen. As you know, you Bishop and the tour guide began to walk us through what took place at that fort. Mm-hmm. And then later what took place at Cape Coast, which we're going to talk about in the second hour. But Deb, what was your experience like? Like you coming off the high, um, I like to stay in that place as much as I can. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. coming off the high of uh, the Independence Square and going into uh, that structure, it almost like knocked the wind out of me because mm-hmm. I did not know what to expect. Because, you know, the majority of my, you know, business is reading and, you know, planning and all that. I honestly didn't read any of the materials that mm-hmm. was sent ahead of time to share what we were going to do Good. on mm-hmm. purpose. Okay. And I'm glad I didn't because yeah. I am a thinker. I would have been thinking about it mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have been able to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, stepping into that place, it just really, I mean, I was rendered speechless. Because I I could not imagine how we are here today, Mm -hmm. given what we were told in that space. And again, as I mentioned, for me, the trip got higher and higher and higher. And so the fact that we're just able to 
sit here and speak knowing what our um, ancestors went through. Which we're going to talk about in the second hour. Yeah. I'll let you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that in the second hour, the experience of the slave castle, mm. but the transformative quality of it and why anyone, anyone who has the means to go, they have to get to Ghana. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, matter of fact, Bishop, you've been so many times. Why do they need to like, why is the, why is this so important that they get there? Because you need water to live. I, mm. I, I, uh, I, and I, going I, back home is the water uh, of the African American community. We've been a thirsty people for the longest. And what we use as an elixir to satisfy our thirst has usually been a poison of the very system that enslaved us in the first place. Man. Um, and so when all you have is rotten water, you think that the best water you can ever get is rotten. Then you get to West Africa and you realize that there is a, re- a fresh the water uh, and sweet. potable <laughs> and, and, uh, and picturesque water that you can consume that can finally, you know, can finally satisfy a quenching and, and, uh, you know, quench a thirst in the soul of our people. And so I think that that's, mm-hmm. It's so important to get there mm-hmm. because, I, as I was sharing with Deborah, you can't articulate to other folks when you come back what you've experienced. It's impossible. It's impossible. They would have to go and experience y- it. You try to. You try to. As a matter of fact, I was working with my coach Friday, and one of the practices was, Linnell, share with someone the deepness of the emotions that you're going through. And I, I tried. You can't. You can't do it. And it's, yeah. It's impossible. It's, it's almost, and, and honestly, to tell you the truth, this is the closest I've come because you all have been there. It's almost like I, I can share it with you because I don't have to use all the words, you know. Nice. Like even with Deb, That's you tearing good. up earlier, right? It's mm. like I start speaking and you get it. You start crying because that's what we were going through. And we're going to talk about that in the next hour. So you make sure you stay tuned with us. Again, this is Linnell Harris. You've been listening to Inspirational Perspective right here on WVON 1690 AM. Black Identity, a return to Africa. All right. Good morning. We're back in the studio with me. If you've been listening um, or, or if you're just tuning in, I have Bishop Lance Davis in the studio or Kwasi. Kwame. Kwame. I'm Kwame. Kwame. I'm Kwasi. You're Kwasi. Okay, so you're Saturday. I'm okay. Saturday born. Okay, yes, Saturday sir. born. I'm Sunday born. So Kwame, mm-hmm. uh, Lance Davis, and then, of course, Ama, Ama. Deborah. Saturday born as well. Farmer. Um, I'm Kwasi, Linnell Harris, your host. And uh excited to have you. The conversation this morning is Black Identity, A Return to Africa, subtitled The Ghana Report. We also have Domati Pongo on the line. Domati, good morning. Another Kwesi, by the way. Another Kwesi, my brother. <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons we click the way we do, brother. And uh and Bishop, we we click too, man. I mean, so Kwame, Kwesi, I mean, y'all brothers, you know, Saturday and Sundays, yes. these weekend brothers, <laughs> I tell you. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we and, and, and weekend <laughs> sisters, yeah. Yeah. Um not to take away from our weekday brothers yes, and that's sisters. Right. Yeah. That's right. Our weekday brothers and sisters like Kobe Co- who Co- was listening. Kofi, uh, yeah. yeah. Friday born. Yeah, uh-huh. Friday born, yeah. So um we were talking about the transformative qualities of Ghana, in, in particular the slave castles, when when we went to the break. And I want to talk a little bit about that experience because Fort Amsterdam, we had the opportunity to see a dilapidated, you know, castle that was, you know, that in in, in need of repair. Um, what it looks like when you try to um, escape the secrets of the past, right? Um, and it still told a story, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, walking into those dungeons, 
Um, by the way, the, the female dungeon had bats in it. And yes. I, I remember asking the guy, I said, did they have bats back then? He said, oh yeah. Why mm-hmm. would they, why would they get rid of the bats? Mm. Just because they were slaves in there. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Right? So imagine being in the, in the darkness as a woman. As a woman. As a woman. That's where I was as a about woman. To go. Right? Woman. Imagine woman. being in the darkness of a dungeon. <sighs> along, chained with, along with other women. Mm-hmm. And all you can hear is the screeching of bats and the flapping of their wings. Mm-hmm. You can't see anything, but that's what you can hear. A hundred of them in the size of a restroom in a shopping mall. Yeah. Yeah. For three to six months. For three to six months. Three mm-hmm. months if you're lucky. Yeah. In their own excrement with bats, with bats. being bitten and hardly any water, any food. And it, and this is your living condition. And in pitch black. Pitch black. That, again, is, I think making a connection to some of the um, frustrations and uh, intentional irritations that black women feel. Mm-hmm. I, it, it just is passed on. Like imagine the agitation of that mm-hmm. hearing that you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And that's just being passed on from generation. But the fear. Gen- well, and again, but that's another trauma, trauma, trauma. for women, mm-hmm. yeah. black women in particular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Transgenerational epigenetics. That's what it's called. Yes. It's, it oh. is flowing from grandchildren, great grandchildren, great, great, great grandchildren. There is a trauma, um, that we have experienced and our sisters have experienced it in their way from mm-hmm. that institution mm-hmm. of enslavement. Men have experienced it another way. Uh, but what it has brought about is chronic illness within our melanin, even to this day. Yeah. Um, but because we, there is no, um, there's no money in redressing the problems in the black community. There's only money in us continuing to die from the same issues that we still don't do enough research to figure out how we're going to undo what's been done. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, that has to be part of the conversation towards the end of the show. You know, so what now? Mm-hmm. Right. But go ahead, Deborah. What no, were you I was say? just gonna. I mean, it's it's just all connected. I I oftentimes tease um, my husband Adam in the morning if we're driving together. More times than not, you'll see a black woman at whatever hour in the morning on her cell phone snapping off on somebody. I'm like, mm-hmm. what could she possibly be upset about this early in the morning? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just. And, and I don't want to say it's a nature, but it is a nature that was passed on. Passed this, on. Yeah. This level of um, tension. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Tension. That's what it is. I mean, it's 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 built it's built up tension over hundreds and hundreds of years, right? That come from the trauma that took place in those slave castles. Now we got to Cape Coast, and we we begin to take this tour. Through this, you know, the white castle, the big white castle. And, and one of the first, one of the first stops w- was in the men's dungeon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a tour guide began talking to us, you know, he's telling us the conditions. And by the way, let's give them the narrative and, and Bishop and Domati and Deborah, you all can help me out. But so my paternal ancestors from Burkina Faso and Deborah, yours is the Akan tribe of Ghana, the Akan tribe of Ghana. Mm-hmm. So let's let's give them. And this is the maternal side, right? Yes, my mom's side. All right. So we're going to mm-hmm. give you a, a, a picture of what this looked like. All right. So my forefather, a man likely was taken from uh, north mm-hmm. of the Ghanaian border. Mm-hmm. OK. And. And and being taken from north of the Ghanaian border, in order for him to get down the Slave River, mm-hmm. he had to walk. Honest, yep, barefoot, barefoot, mm-hmm. naked, naked. Mm-hmm. Okay, he had to walk 
to that slave river about 650, 670 miles. Mm-hmm. I did the math. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and by the way, I took it from in between the major city of Burkina Faso and the border. So okay. uh, let's say he lived somewhere in, in that region mm-hmm. when he was kidnapped or taken as a prisoner of war. Okay. He had to walk all the way to that slave river. The Akon people, that's northern part of mm-hmm. Ghana, Ghana. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is a woman. She had to walk 70 to 100 miles to get to that river, right? And mind you, the river is significant because this is the last bath, Yes, mm-hmm. right? This is the last bath that this slave, mm-hmm. who doesn't know they're a slave, by the way, mm-hmm. right? So, so let's think about that. The ability to survive being so your freedom is stolen away from you and in a matter of days you find yourself walking chained by the neck chained mm-hmm. by the hands chained chained by the feet mm-hmm. right by the ankles if you're a man if you're a woman tied mm-hmm. right tied by the hands mm-hmm. and being led walking through the jungles of Africa very little water you're being fe- fed biscuits so that way you stay constipated right mm-hmm. on purpose mm-hmm. and snakes are biting your companions mm-hmm. Killing them, right? Animals, mosquitoes. By the time you make it to the slave river, 35% of your companions are dead. Mm -hmm. Correct. And are are they dragging them along? Because that was Mm -hmm. another visual for me Mm -hmm. is who's going to stop and untie the person that has died along the way? Yeah, sometimes if they didn't have the key. Um, many slave trappers didn't have the keys to the, so it would be you were cheaper than the chains while you were on your way to uh, total captivity. So it was cheaper to just chop, chop off your limbs okay. so that your so that the chains were free and Jesus. they would grab the free, you know, the chains mm-hmm. and either bury those chains where they were or uh, would take those chains along with. But it was easier to dismember the person who had just died um, than to than to give them a decent burial and to have them keep the chains on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in their death and just leave them because the chains were worth more. Were worth more than the human body. Really, really quickly, I just, I just want to speak to the barbarism. I think that's the thing that keeps that gets me because they knew after having taken the trip multiple times that they could have easily given the keys to the, per, the the slave transporters. Yes, but they knew that it was more damaging to the psyche to make a person carry a limb for 100 miles, 200, 300 miles than it was for them to unhook them and allow somebody who died to just be laid along the way. And and that, that I think that is what really came to the fore for me when I was there. As I tried to connect the dots between colonialism and all these different countries and the atrocities of slavery and how things still persist in our community. We can't forget that spirit of barbarism yeah. that I end some of these people that allowed this to happen. Yeah, correct. And, and Domati, that's important because I think sometimes we, you know, you know, for instance, uh, you know, James will call in sometimes and he'll say they're trying to kill us all. Right. And I remember when I first came on WVON and I heard him, I was, oh, you know, this guy here, you know, um, but he's speaking the truth. Yeah. And what he's saying is visceral, so we want to reject it. Uh-huh. But he's speaking mm-hmm. the truth, and it may not happen the way we think. Right? We know no one's going to come into the streets and line us up and shoot us down with you know machine guns. We assume so. We, we assume not, right? We assume. Mm-hmm. But it's happening with the food. Mm-hmm. It's happening with mm-hmm. education. It's happening in different ways that you know we will listen to someone like that and we'll say, 
oh, you, you know, what he's saying can't be true. But wait a second. Let's think about that. And when we say food, we say one other piece, too, just from a female's perspective that I'll lay on you is think about education. Right. Mm-hmm. Bl- the black woman is and I don't know if this what the stats are. Um, more educated mm-hmm. than most, right? Right, well, I don't right, know what, right. What no, no, the, the black woman right. is the most, the educated, most educated in this country. Right. In the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. but I'll give you some context around that. So here it is, you're getting all these degrees and doing all that. You're focusing in on that and have not focused in on the natural family, having children, getting married and things of that sort. Not saying that all the women that are educated didn't do that, mm-hmm. but a good portion of them did not. And because the natural things are not happening, having children, Breastfeeding. So that lactate that has built up Uh then brings about breast cancer, Uh which we didn't have as an issue for a very long time. So that's just another way to kill us. Uh Yeah, Uh it's a very interesting perspective. And by the way, some people are going to be triggered by what you said. But what I would challenge them to do is to be with it. And to really, and by the way, you don't have the context of, uh, my sister Ama over mm-hmm. here, Deborah, mm-hmm. right? Because you haven't been on that continent yet. Correct. Mm-hmm. And until right. you're there, I think, because you're an educated sister mm-hmm. saying this, yep. mm-hmm. successful sister yeah. saying this. Mm-hmm. And basically, I think you're trying to put a word in their ear. I am. Yeah. 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 I, we, we've been trying to become Europeanized so that we can be accepted by the European construct. Mm. And so, um, and, and what we're doing in a sense is creating a very unhealthy environment mm-hmm. for both ourselves and our prodigy, our, our posterity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things about going back is recognizing the, as uh, Domati said, the barbarism that took place. And for me, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I love doing my research, but you'd have to help me to understand when did you lose those barbaristic t- tendencies? Because if I can't celebrate the day that you stopped your barbarism, oh, wow. then I can pretty much conclude that it's, it's continuing to this, yeah. to this yeah. day. Or, yes. or, or if I haven't, and I, we, I, I said this actually, Domati, when you and Salim and I were on the show, or if you haven't, issued me an apology for the barbarism, mm-hmm. then I have to assume that you're not sorry, which means that it can happen again. Mm-hmm. And it is. There you go. Yeah. And, and so, so let, let's continue this journey, right? Because now I've walked 670 miles, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, in your case, your ancestor, Deborah, has walked um, 70 to 100 miles to the Slave River. Mm-hmm. You're barefoot. I mean, both man and woman, barefoot, naked. And now you're forced into this river. That, by the way, when we came to the river was, in a lot of ways, you know, docile, yes. right? But, you know, according to the tour guide, that this river could, you know, it had it had some force. It had some power. And you're led into this river, by the way, which is cold, which um, in some ways maybe for our ancestors was was a, a greeting uh, because of how hot and, and, and tired and exhausted they were. And you're led into this river, sharp rocks. And you're bathed with your chains on. Uh-huh. So that way you can be taken to the slave block, to the marketplace, a price put in your head. And then they say, OK, you're good enough. You're good enough to go into our dungeon. Yes. I mean, and let's keep that in mind. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. You, sir, are good enough for us to stock in our dungeon and wait for a slave. Ship. Because if you were too sickly yeah. and had no good health, then you were better off dead. Yeah. And they would throw you into the ocean. Yeah. 
and the pregnant women along the way, which I found out as well, yes. which really mm-hmm. put me in a place of rage. Yeah. Yeah. That if they didn't conclude that one of them, one of the slave captors was the father of that child, then you were good as garbage and dirt, uh, even though you were with child and they would throw you into the water as well. Um, and to look at the fact that sharks are supposed to be extinct to this day. It's supposed to be we're studying sharks yeah, the same way we this. do dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that so many millions of our bodies mm. littered the Atlantic Ocean that we repopulated um, the shark population of every species so that we have sharks even to this day who still continue to migrate along the pattern of the middle passage, uh, which is their feeding pattern, mm. uh, for, uh, off of bodies. Um, these types of things that created, uh, the wealth of this country. So the wealth of this country is based upon the blood and bones of our own ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so for people to say, well, I'm not from Africa, um, and so I don't have much to do with that actually speaks to then the, the psycho, the psychosis. Yeah. The yeah. psychosis that we suffer yeah. from today. So when you see that sister snapping off in the morning mm-hmm. on the phone all the time more than likely she's snapping off on somebody else on a male who his himself has had his own trauma experiences and so both are sick Mm -hmm. who are trying to raise sick children Mm -hmm. in an environment that is sick and until we go back home we can't deal we can't even uh get a proper diagnosis on the sickness lord have mercy so if you can't see a nap (laughs) <laughs> if you and by the way, you guys know Linnell Harris inspiration motivation. But part of part of transformation happens with truth and knowledge. Uh-huh. Applied yeah. knowledge, which we talked yeah. about. Applied knowledge, yes. right? Truth uh-huh. and, and and that's what this conversation is about. Uh-huh. Um I have on the line Shalanda, and so I want to stay at the river for a moment before we go to the castle. And uh Shalanda, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am awesome. Excellent. Excellent. So Shalanda is one of our fellow travelers. So she was with us as well. It's good to hear your voice, sister. Tell us your tell us your real name. My real name is Abana, which means I was born on a Tuesday. Mm, excellent. In excellent. the club on a yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Shay. Hey, good morning, Deb. All right. So you had a, a, a visceral experience at the Slave River. Can you can you share a little bit of, uh, about that with us? I did. It was an extremely emotional experience. And like I shared with one of the other travelers, I think that as we were traveling along, you started to feel these deeper connections to places where we went. Mm -hmm. And when we got to the Slave River and we're listening to men to tell the story of the journey of the um, captured and just hearing the words, the water was speaking to me the entire time that we mm-hmm. were there because I, in all honesty, I am a water sign. Mm-hmm. But in being there and stepping onto that land and hearing that this was the last time that our ancestors were going to be bathed before they Say were, it one more time. Say it one more time. The last this time. This was the last time that our ancestors were going to be bathed before they stepped even mm-hmm. further into their negative, Hmm. humiliating, Hmm. long-term abyss Hmm. of hatred by those that captured them. So let's, let's real quick, because I want to hear more about the experience, but I want the listeners to really be with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Imagine 
The heat of Africa. I mean, it's hot, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. we took showers multiple times. Yeah. So first thing, first time yeah. when you when you step in your room, first thing you do, right? It's like, mm-hmm. where's the shower? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, so AC okay. in the shower. Yeah, let me go ahead yeah. and, and wash some of this, you know, this dust off, um, and cool myself, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine that this is your last bath. I mean, literally your last bath for months. Yes. And it gets worse. We're going to talk about that. It gets worse. But this is your it last bath months. But then t- talk about the experience when, and this is on the documentary, folks. When I tell you, um, Shalanda, thank you for being willing to share that intimate moment with us. And when people have an opportunity to see it, I think it will really come to life. But mm-hmm. there you are. You're, you're standing in the river. Your hands are in the river. And what's going through your mind? I can feel the pain. Mm-hmm. I can feel the dignity being stripped away. I can feel the anger i can feel the fear mm. not knowing where you're going next and when i say i can feel it it was pulsing through every fiber of mm. my being mm. so this wasn't you know if i'm sitting down and i'm you know looking at my husband lovingly and i'm getting the warm butterflies in my stomach mm. this was literally pulsing through every fiber of who i am and who i even thought that i was mm-hmm. i could feel the tears streaming down the mother's face as she knows that she may not see her children again. Mm-hmm. I could feel the dignity being stripped from our men, mm-hmm. which brought a deeper understanding to me of the trauma that black men have suffered throughout mm-hmm. their entire mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. and the impact that all of this had on that. I could feel the hatred of the people that did it. And I kept saying, who, who, who could do this to people? Mm-hmm. What humanly atrocity has any other race suffered except for Africans and African Americans. Uh-huh. I could feel that. And, and, and I started to take a step back and be like, our kids don't know this story. Uh-huh. This story has been wiped away from the history book. Not at all. I knew nothing uh-huh. of the slave river. When I uh-huh. stuck my hands in that water, it was like a shock wave went through yes. me. Uh-huh. And I stood there literally in a bended position thinking dignity, all dignity was gone. Uh-huh. It was gone. Mm-hmm. It was as if I were a piece of livestock and you clean me up that one time to take me to the auction mm-hmm. for someone to buy me because mm-hmm. now I've become a commodity mm-hmm. and I could feel that the, we are strong people. Yeah. When I looked at the faces of those gorgeous Africans that were in Ghana, I'm thinking to myself, they were taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't go by choice. We're not here by choice. Yeah. Yeah. We were mm-hmm. taken away from the land that is ours and brought somewhere where we never even could have imagined what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I looked across the river and I saw Ama <laughs> and I saw Akua mm-hmm. and I saw Kwesi and I saw every other person that was with us, you could feel <laughs> the sadness yeah. and the fear yeah. that was pulsing through everyone's body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much so. That before we left, I mentioned to Doma T, I said, we, we have to we have to go through a healing process. Mm-hmm. We can't just walk out of this place. Mm-hmm. And so we got into a circle. Doma T said a prayer. And that prayer, Doma T, yeah. amazing. The anointing mm-hmm. fell down mm-hmm. on that brother while there. Mm-hmm. And and then I asked a question of this was the last bath. And as you leave this last bath, what is your declaration? Hmm. What will this be the last of in your life? And those of you listening, you're going through this emotional experience. I know you're having feelings about this right now. We're taking you there with us. But what would this be the last? See, this show isn't just about entertaining you or telling you about what's happening or, or, or painting a picture. 
But it's to educate you and provide you the knowledge that you can apply so you can begin to shift your life right now in this moment. So if you feel this emotion, what will this be the last of for you? Hmm. How is this going to change your life? How is this going to change the life of the lineage that you will produce? What is this the last of? That last bath was the last bath for our ancestors. Yeah. But what is this the last of right now in this moment for you? Hmm. <clears throat> Shay, thank wow. you. Mm. Thank you. And just if I could just say one more thing, I think one of the things that I didn't realize that prior to us leaving was my role as a wife. Transformation. It's a folks, folks. Transformation. I, you know, Deb and I have gone down this journey mm-hmm. together with love and, mm-hmm. you know, getting married older. So I wasn't married in my 20s or my 30s. I was married in my 40s. Mm-hmm. And the when we came back, I looked at my husband in a different way Girl. because he is the power that is within our house. Mm-hmm. And as an independent, educated, double degreed woman mm-hmm. with multiple years of experience, mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to take a step back mm-hmm. and truly allow him. And I use the word allow loosely mm-hmm. to be the man of this house. Yes. Because I can no longer be the head of this household if I trust him. Mm-hmm. If I know that he comes from a lineage of power, he is the power of our home. He is the power of who I am. I am my own individual, but because he is my husband and this is who we are together, he is my king and I am his queen and I have to be the queen to him. So in mm. everything that he is, that is who I am. Praise him. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just say, uh, Shalanda, this is Bishop Davis, and I want you to know that, um, and I just shared it with uh, Deborah and Linnell a little bit earlier, and I know I've shared it with Damati, but being with you all was so refreshing and rewarding for me. Uh, for years, I wondered, when were our people going to ever come back home and get free and get healed? And I could not have uh, possibly imagined how powerful mm. our time together would be uh, with some of the most extraordinary people from every backdrop, from every background, from age 19 to 73, came together and brought together the unity that we're supposed to bring together in order to bring healing to, to our people even in this country. So I just got to tell you while you're on the phone, my sister, it was a blessing being with you. Um, and I'm praying that, um, you know, your husband, uh, is able to join us the next time, uh, because, uh, th- there's some, there's some powerful energy in this whole process mm-hmm. and it's not going to end right here. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, transformational. There's tears in the studio, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. If I could yeah. just, um, Shalanda, um, just echo her sentiments. Um, my husband's birthday was the day we returned. <laughs> And when I got back, I, I kind of felt some kind of way because I did not thoughtfully plan anything for his birthday. Um, and so anyway, I just kind of, you know, not threw something together on, on Friday, but I did. Um, because I said, you know, he's been here holding it down with my mom, with Josh and with Aiden for 10 days while I was away. 
But I'm going to just read something really quickly. Um, so we had a little gathering um, Friday and my um, herbalist and good friend Camilla Alfred, I posted a photo of me and Adam. And in her response to what she saw, she said, this ordained trip has moved you into higher frequencies from the source of love's divine will. Love was the lesson on your trip of growth into will of the divine almighty God. God bless you. You will teach love to all. Oh, wow. Wow. And that's what I felt. So Shalanda, I agree with you. I, I even asked Shalanda when we were in the um, room because I was just at sh- dinner with Shalanda and mentioned I was going to God and she said, I'm going too. Um, but while we were in our, um, one of the rooms at the, on the trip, I was wondering like, well, why Shalanda? Cause I'm always wanting to know about experiences. Like, well, what? and then we had a connection to know why she was to be on that trip with me. And then this is the other reason why, too, so that we can support each other in this of loving our husbands, because we have had it all wrong. The roles have been reversed on us on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's put us in the place of that woman that's every morning I'm listening to watching snapping on the phone, having, you know, gripes with her men. That stuff was by design. And we have to reverse the curse. It is. And so, Shalanda, I stand and I touch and agree with you. And we are going to support each other and loving on Randy because that's my boo, her husband, Randy (laughs) and and Adam. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go ahead, Bishop. I just wanted to say one thing in reference Mm -hmm. to the river of the last bath before we continue that journey on down to the slave dungeons. And that is you all were standing in a place that was miraculous and you didn't really know it. Mm. In other words, when you went into the river of the last bath, it's actually at that corner. Um, two rivers are flowing simultaneously. It's actually two separate rivers. I noticed that. And the they merge. intersect. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And one river continues on and another river crosses right over it. It's mm. a miraculous river. Wow. And I'll always say that that's the moment whereby we are at the crossroads as well. And that's why that spirit came over you to ask the question, where do we go from here? And what is going to be our new affirmations in life? Because technically for us, it's a miraculous river. It's a miraculous thing that anybody could be bathed from there. And, And we're kind of wrong. We were saying that it's the last bath that a slave will ever have. Mm. The reality is, is that don't remember that if the if the captain of the of the fort wanted to rape the woman, then she would be allowed to have a bath. Do you know how I feel to see America Mm. through its media promoting more white men Mm. with black women? I don't have a problem with interracial marriage, but the fact that you're promoting it in a way that makes it seem like all of our women are with white men, and this is nothing more than a ploy to get us okay with there not being a black man in the room. That was another revelation for me, yeah. honestly, when yeah. I thought about the women yeah. in that process. Not that you wanted to be subjected to some man coming to take you, because that's what they did. But just imagine the other women that saw that woman being taken and getting the opportunity to, to, bathe, bathe, to bathe so that she can go and have that experience for him. Yeah. And so even in that, it just put me in a space of why we as sometimes black women have the 
what we have. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. And, and one of the things we talked about in the dungeons is, I mean, they will come down and select, right? Yes. yes. So that creates contention and competition. Yes. Separation. Contention mm-hmm. and competition, yes. right? And, and by the way, this practice went on and on mm-hmm. and on mm-hmm. and on. So it wasn't just happening in those dungeons, but then it would happen on a slave ship. Mm-hmm. And then it would happen in America with the slave owner. On the plantations. Right? And on plantations, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm choosing one woman over mm-hmm. another. This mm-hmm. woman gets special privileges or special things because I'm laying with her and this one doesn't and it started to create this this rip and this tension between our sisters and then look at the white woman who is being avoided in her own bedroom look at her contentions and look at her hatred mm. with among those black for women. the black woman mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. a lot of layers you, you know I, I wanted can't. to ask this I wanted to ask this earlier and um, I was like well maybe I'll wait until we get off the air because it's, it's more of a spiritual question for Bishop but we're so in this space I think it is it is relevant I remember when I met Bishop I was on Cape Coast and the night that I met Bishop uh, last year the Atlantic Ocean was thrashing so violently but I was scared to go toward the beach and I remember even text FaceTiming a friend of mine and said listen to the water and I remember thinking back then how many souls we're in that water, right? And so I, I, I remember we went to an art exhibit this time around where it said that the Atlantic Ocean is the largest burial site for black bodies. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. The next day, we went to the Cape Coast Slave Castle and had that whole experience, everything that we're talking about that we're about to go into. And I came back to the hotel that night, and the waters were calm. Huh. And huh. so I went to the beach that night. And, and kind of prayed to God by the waters and just sat with the waters for a while. And then this whole trip, I, I didn't anticipate having a moment where I would pray with the group or, or speak too much. But then again, at the Slave River, like Deborah was saying, that anointing came down and we had that prayer. So I guess my question, what, what is the significance of the waters when it comes to healing and, mm-hmm. and praying and, and really contending mm-hmm. with these things that we're going through? What, what is that connection there? You know, the one thing that we were uh, deprived of more than anything, uh, including dignity, was water. Uh, water, uh, as a matter of fact, we still uh, deprive ourselves as African-Americans of water to this day. Uh, we self-deprivate ourselves uh, from water. It is um, where there's water, there's life. And that's the reason why I got into the water business in the first place, that the majority of children who die on the continent don't die because of HIV AIDS or because of starvation. They die because they have a lack of access to fresh water. Um, and so I thought that that was my duty uh, as not only a man of God, but also a man of conscience and an entrepreneur to do whatever I could to make it so that my people have water uh, in the continent. The, the one thing about water is that when you begin to look at the number of biblical references to water and the metaphors for water, that where there's water, there is life. And where there's the potential for there to be fresh water, there is fresh life. Where there is stale and stagnant water, which is what I call the waters of America for black people, uh, we drink stale and stagnant water on a regular basis. That's why we continue to not own our own businesses. We don't own any institutions. Every institution that is studying us has figured out that we are pretty much the sickest, be it psychological or physiological. That is because we don't tap into fresh waters. We're still drinking the stale waters that have been created by systemic hatred and racism. And we need to return back home so that when we do come back here, that the systemic racism does not have such a psychological effect on us as it has been having. Because mm-hmm. you all who have returned, the negative impacts of this nation cannot impact 
impact you the way it was doing before you. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Not all of a sudden, it's, it's water off a duck's back. It is it? like yeah. Delta Sigma Theta duck back quack. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you see? So that's exactly what we're looking at. We're looking at more and more folks being liberated by being washed in the true water of, of, of the word. That water that, that replenishes and that water that helps us to understand that we can wash off the dross and the shame of yesterday and pick up a newness. And I think that that's what Black Panther did. It saw, it gave us perhaps an idea or a vision of a newness that we can walk into. A shot in the arm. Yeah, I love that. I love yeah, that. That's good. So we don't have to cover a whole lot about the dungeons. I, I think, I think that the listeners get that it gets worse. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what I do want to talk about, it, by the way, if you want to know more about the dungeons, you can go to my page. I think you can go to almost anybody's page and learn about those dungeons. But I, I put a very specific post out on what I learned about the dungeons um, on my Facebook page and my Instagram. So you can go there, Linnell, at Linnell Harris, L-I-N-A-L, and check it out. Here's the other thing I want you to look at, though. I want you to see the beauty of Africa. And Lenice, who helped organize uh-huh. the trip, I text her a picture that I took on the beach. And it is gorgeous. And it's also on my Facebook page. I'm going to put it on my Instagram as well so you all can see it. But go there and look at the beauty of this continent. Why we fell so in love. Oh, yeah. Why we fell so in love with with Ghana. But I want to fast forward a little bit. I mean, we know the dungeons were awful. And, and just to kind of give you an idea of the the, 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 the conditions, our people were standing in about a foot of their own excrement, vomit, urine, blood, sweat, etc. So, so just adequately unpack that. So when you all walked into the slave dungeons, yeah. you were walking on what looked like a cobblestone ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as yeah. you were walking, yeah. you then found out that there had been a part where the floor had been excavated. Yes. And that excavation goes down to the real brick. Mm-hmm. So that means that when they took a section of what looked like cement, that they came up to the conclusion that that was comprised of old skin, sweat, blood, urine, vomit that had solidified over the hundreds of years. Over the hundreds of years. And archaeologists found that that's what the substance was. That's right. And then they, they have a measure in the dungeon to mm-hmm. show you mm-hmm. to show you how high it went. And it went to about three quarters of a foot to a foot high. Mm-hmm. And so you see, wow, wait a second. My ancestor was standing <laughs> Yeah. And his own excrement, his own waste. And no longer complaining about standing in deep, you know, knee mm-hmm. snow. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. knock mm-hmm. it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This I mean, some, they were standing in. Yeah. Some yes. of the things we complain about. Yeah. On, on the plane ride over to Africa, one of the passengers in my area passed gas. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad, I woke out of my sleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So I woke out of my, I was like, Oh, I'm like, really? You know how yeah, it is yeah, when yeah, you yeah. travel. Yeah. And I got, I got real like, Oh my goodness, yeah. people. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Nothing compared mm-hmm. to my ancestors' ride here, mm-hmm. right? And I, I caught myself almost immediately and said, "You know what, man? <laughs> you know, suck it up." Yeah. Okay. It's it's gas that will pass. Mm. My ancestor had to stand in excrement mm-hmm. for months, and the stench never went away. Yes. And if can I just add this too? Another piece too. You can too. still smell it today. You can still yeah. smell it today in the dungeon. Yeah, you, you can. You could. And, and just adding this other piece too. Um, we've seen enough slave movies to be, you know upset right right birth of a nation and so forth but one movie that we saw before we went to the last bath was uncle tom was Mm -hmm. it yeah the return the okay Mm -hmm. 
and the process. Oh, goodbye, Uncle Tom. Oh, goodbye, 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 Uncle Tom. Right, goodbye, yeah. Uncle Tom. I had never seen that movie, but the way the process in which they stopped the natural flow, mm. whether it be diarrhea or just relieving yourself, was to me inhumane. barbaric. Barbaric, mm. In- inhumane. That mm. honestly shoved me all the way down. Yeah, yeah, inhumane. Shoved me all yeah. the way down. Yeah, inhumane. So let's let's talk about. So I want to fast forward a little bit because due to time, we have fifteen minutes left. We here. We survived this. And for those of you who are listening, despite your your personal circumstance, despite what's happened in your family, despite the sickness that Bishop was talking about, you're here. You survived that. And what that means is you're more powerful than you can imagine, because when you are in that dungeon, when you see what they did to us. You ask yourself, how does someone survive this? Linnell, can I, could you survive this? And you begin to realize that it wasn't just a physical power, right? You had to be physically strong, uh-huh. right? To yes. walk those miles, to be, you know, to stand mile the way you're walking with chains on. But you have to be also mentally tough. I mean, I imagine that they were meditating, that they were able to take themselves out of that place through meditation, through prayer, right? Um, but then the spiritual prowess of our ancestors. I mean, that's what kept them going. Yes. Cause I, I, I'm sure the physical gave out. I'm sure the mental gave out. There were probably tears of pain and anguish, but then they would still get up that spirit, that spirit and that spirit, that DNA is in each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do we tap into it now? How do we tap into it? Like, what's next? Okay, so we're sick. We've been the target of poison, Mm -hmm. the target of oppression. I mean, the list goes on, right? And still we rise. Mm -hmm. Maya Angelou, still I rise. Mm -hmm. So now what? For that young person that's in despair listening right now. For the educated sister who was maybe at home crying, listening to this, wondering, man, what next? For the brother that's listening and feels helpless in America because it's been set up that way, Mm -hmm. right? He can't find a job, has nowhere to go. The woman in his life don't respect him. Now what? Thoughts? I would like to say that... What we live in is a created context. And at one point in time, we have to choose to step out of this matrix mm-hmm. because we're in somebody else's game. Yeah. A Sankofa, which is a return to your roots and taking possession of it. A Sankofa allows for us to realize that number one, 12 million people were taken off the shores of Africa where we were. 12 million. Only 400,000 made it to the shores of the United States. Wow. 400,000. So 400,000 out of 12 million have populated this country and through all of the murders and through all of the wars that we fought 
in and all of the sickness and all of the diabolical plots of this nation, starting with Charles Davenport, along with American eugenics, along with the, the black codes, all of this destruction that has been heaped upon us as a people. And we turn around and we're still in the millions strong today. Mm-hmm. It's vitally important to keep that race of people and that ilk of people subjected to oppression because without those governors of oppression, where would these folks be today? So I would just like to say, as I'm heading off to my own church, mm-hmm. that everybody tap into what Dr. Hammett Milana says is the most powerful thing we have is our spirit. Yes. And that woman that you just mentioned and that yeah. brother that you just yeah. mentioned, yeah, yeah. that if they tap back into the spirit that they had when they were five and six hundred years ago. Yeah. They can tap into that spirit even to this day yes. and just go and celebrate it. Go to your church, go to wherever your place of worship is and celebrate that power that's within. And don't give yourself an option to have a pity party on what's taking place today when you've got the power to change the trajectory of your today and make a better tomorrow. That's well said. That's, that's well said, Bishop. I mean, that's phenomenal. Deborah, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, when we were um, sort of like to the point of what we're going to do next at the water, um, one thing that resonated with me was um, as I saw the water that we were crying in and feeling bad about a bunch of kids with buckets on their heads mm-hmm. going to scoop up this water for what they needed, mm-hmm. right? Whether mm-hmm. to bathe, cook and so forth. Um, and it really dawned on me to say, you know, joy has come in the morning. Like mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. They went through the sadness, mm-hmm. weeping may endure for a night. Mm-hmm. Night time is over. Yes. We're in the morning. And it's time for us to be infused with joy and um, a sense of purpose. And I even go back to the um, the foundation of who you are, whether you have grit or not. Mm-hmm. I think there's a level of, um, for me, playing on words. When I was a little girl, my grandmother used to tease and say, you know, well, let Nikki be the mama sometime because I was so bossy. <laughs> but that was who I was. Right. And I want us to for every little person, that one thing that we see that is who they are. We need to we need to nourish that. We need to help them grow mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So because that's who we are. We're yes. strong people. Yes. Yes. And so I just want us to uh, really take that and not look at it as a negative and, and really be in a place of joy and get to work. Because, as I said there, too, we made it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we made it. Made yes, it. yes, yes. Chosen. Yes. A chosen people. I mean, in order for any of us to be alive. It's divine providence. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to add just one final thing for Mm -hmm. our brothers and sisters who have this misconception that our African brothers and sisters don't like us. Mm. Let me ask you all something. Did you experience not being liked by oh, your people? Well, I'm, I'm going to have to just really hijack this conversation and Go say on. I felt oh, so man. loved. <laughs> and interestingly enough, there were times where truthfully we were together in our intimate groups um, shopping, Shalanda, me, and Kaz, and, and not, not, not Zynga. Um, and clearly they noticed me. Like a couple of times they're like, they're African Americans. Mm-hmm. She's one of us. Mm-hmm. We heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and mm-hmm. so to that yeah. end, I did yes. not feel like a disdain for, you know, who are these black women coming over here? Correct. They really embraced us and Correct. loved us. And I will honestly, selfishly say they felt that I had come home. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And, and, and they, well, they recognized that you were Ghanaian. Yeah. They, they could see it. They, they could see it. They could see it. Yeah. Okay. So, so two things. Number one, there's nothing more shameful. Uh, and there's nothing more hurtful to them for to run into one of us 
and we not know where we came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they ask us where where yeah. are you from, and I say I'm yeah. from Chicago, they go, No, yeah. where yeah. are you from? Yeah. I was like, uh, the West Side. <laughs> yeah. But that's 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 a, a pitiful situation. But the second thing, well, it's a lack is, of identity. It's a lack of identity, totally. Yeah. yeah. And the second thing is is that. The reason why that misnomer went out there is that white missionaries taught them horrible things about us mm-hmm. as black Americans. And then the same uh, e- educational construct taught us horrible things about, about Africa about in order yeah. to keep us separated yeah. so that we would never be able to go back through the door of return. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yes, yes. And, and, and what Bishop is referring to is an actual door yeah. at the Cape Coast Castle, which is the door of return. We had a ceremony there. It was, uh, and that was part of the transformation of returning home to Africa. Mm. Um, Domati, any thoughts? Man, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Bishop. That was powerful, that prayer at the transformation at the door of no return. That opened some things up for me. And this trip has taught me to be more patient with where we are as people. There was a conversation mm-hmm. online. I think I tagged some of you guys in it. What his brother was asking, you know, I think Africans, he's African-American. He said, I think Africans have ill thought of us, thoughts of us. Let me ask some people from the continent, isn't it true? that Africans don't yep. like African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I tagged you guys in. I said, no, it's not true. It's a lot of so discord. And so, you know, I, I and, and I had to be patient because at first it felt like such an ignorant question, but then I thought about there's no perspective. And then you mm-hmm. can't get mad, as Bishop always says, at the victim uh, for being victimized, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I want, with this trip, I want us to figure out how to make, how to normalize Afrocentricity. What's frustrating to me is you get this idea that if that if this person has on dashiki or if this person's conscious was going on or if I tell you about the atrocities of slavery, it somehow means I hate white people or somehow means that I'm trying to radicalize right, folks. Right, and, right, and, right. But but we have to get to a space where these things are normal and we have to stop demonizing things that are germane to African American mm-hmm. culture when it's really rooted in African culture. Mm-hmm. The name Keisha isn't ghetto; it comes from yeah. African culture. Correct. You know, I, I mean, when we. Mm-hmm. Poor lick of our dead homies. It ain't ghetto. It's a libation. Mm-hmm. When we see some, when when we're gathered on a porch outside, mm-hmm. it's not ghetto. It's a sense of community. Yes. And so we start to hate things that are germane and normal to our culture because it doesn't fit into Eurocentric values. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that we normalize Africa, normalize the trip. I hate to use normalize because it makes anything that is, is happening seem abnormal, but it is abnormal to not to abhor your own your mm. own lineage. Mm. Yeah. And, and, mm. and I, and I want to find a way to, to, to create this normalcy within us, this pride within us. And, and for you all giving me an opportunity to explore that, even within myself and with my peers, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. So I'm, I'm just thankful for this. Well, Domati, thank you for that. And, and, and this is, this is what I'll take away from it. We need each other. Mm-hmm. When, when, so going back to Ghana was a gift for me. It was a gift for me. My paternal ancestor is Burkina Faso. My maternal ancestor is Cameroon. Mm-hmm. It, it answered questions. I remember being in Barcelona. A man ran out. Actually, Madrid. man ran out of the restaurant and said, brother, are you from Cameroon? Mm-hmm. And I went, nah, you know, at the time, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't have that identity. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm from Chicago. He says, no, you're Cameroon. Mm-hmm. And I go, no, no, no. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. Bishop, well, I'm west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he looks so sad. Yeah. And then years later, my mother takes the maternal test mm-hmm. and find, finds out that she's from Cameroon, right? I favor my mother, wow. right? Even to be in Ghana and for them to ask where you're from. My, yes. my, my forefathers from Burkina Faso and my foremothers from Cameroon. They go, I see it, yeah, brother. That's right. I can see it. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And so that sense of identity is transfer transformative by itself. Right. But we need each other. They need us. Yes. Right now in Ghana, they need us. They need our investment dollars. They need yes. our knowledge. They need the things that we've learned. Black women are the most educated uh, segment of women, right? And the highest consumers. And and the highest consumers. Like they, they need that, that, that expertise, that professionalism that we can bring that we have learned. And at the same time, we need them because Mm -hmm. we need to learn community. We need to learn love. We need to, there's so many things. We need to learn our traditions and the things that really make us who we are. And so more than anything, what I see next is an opportunity to educate us. Educate. That's what the documentary is about Uh is, is taking the experience that we have and, and, and providing it to as many people as possible. But at the same time, making sure that the bus is packed every time you Uh go. Uh Right. Uh I mean, it should be to a point Uh where, uh, you know, when we get on the plane, you know, from, we should have the whole, the whole plane, the whole plane. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's full of yes. African Americans yes. who are returning to Absolutely. Ghana, who are turning yes. to Africa to learn more about mm-hmm. themselves, learn about their identity. And then there's, there's groves of buses yes. ready to pick us up. Right. Yes. And so we're pouring into that economy and they're pouring into us spiritually yes. and we're all thriving mm. as a mm. result. Mm. That's, that's what I see. That's my vision. Of what's next, because that will provide us, in my, in my opinion, the purpose and the identity we need to step into the le- next level of our power. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, think about this. Fifteen years ago, no one really, really cared. Thumb their nose, especially older African-Americans, thumb their nose at what was taking place in Africa. Now, all of a sudden, we don't have any more black banks left. We've only got Illinois Service Federal, and that's owned by a Ghanaian. Yeah. A man who was pushing carts for a living mm-hmm. is now owning one of our banks and the last bastion of black banks in Chicago. Hey, and by the way, GM Bank in Ghana, 9% APR. Yes. yes. 9%, 9% on your money. Yes. 9%. 9%. Yes. So I'm telling you, get over there. We're get over there. there. We're taking you there in October. If you want to know more about it, I'm going to be sharing the first piece of it at the Murder Mediocrity Summit. You need to be at the Murder Mediocrity Summit. If you don't have tickets, you need to get your tickets. It's two weeks out. Everyone, go to murdermediocrity.com. And if you enjoyed this show, you know it will make a difference. You share the stream. Someone needs this. Someone needs this. You make sure that you are the vehicle that gets them there. Um, sit them down, make them listen. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank you for the support. Love each and every one of you. This is why I do this. This is my purpose. My purpose is your success. You've been listening to Linnell Harris. Thanks again, Bishop Davis, Deborah Farmer, Dumbati Pongo. And you all have a phenomenal Sunday. Until next week, Damon Williams is with me next week, y'all, from the summit. You know we're going to be laughing, laughing, laughter brings healing. So we're going to be laughing next week. All right. Be sure to join me. Linnell Harris, Inspirational Perspective. Check you guys out next week.